gets me going. I don't know, folks. You know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. Holy cow. Uh, my name is Jim Reed. I've got the best freaking job in the world. You might know me as Bluff Serini in the home games or Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. Um, we're here for the Rec Poker Podcast, the forums edition. Just like we every week, we're going to take a forum post from the Rec Poker uh, website, the learning community there. It's free to join. All it takes is an email address and a smile. And because it's free to join, because of so much what we do here being free and volunteer-based, I have to start by thanking our sponsors, Mark Prashan from Website Amp and the wonderful folks at the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, without which we could not uh, do what we do here. Um, we also couldn't do what we do without Wrecking Crew members. The Wrecking Crew is kind of the core team of folks here at Wreck Poker that make all the magic happen. I'm just the guy with the mic. But if you want to find out about me and the rest of the Wrecking Crew, you can go to wreck.poker slash crew or just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right now tonight. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. I'm Kim Kilroy. I am patbat underscore 33 on Twitter. Patbat 33 in the home game. And it's not just the Wrecking Crew. We also depend on our premium members. For kicking in there $15 a month, that $15 a month gets them access to uh, training videos, strategy, live strategy sessions, um, access to the, the recording of the forums edition of the podcast, some extra uh, social events that go on. Uh, but mostly it's just a way to say, hey, thanks, Rec Poker, for putting the show on and for spreading this love of poker as widely as you do. Um, it, it takes help. We need help. And so that's why we love when uh, premium members like John Kroll come and join us here in the uh, forums edition of the podcast. And we get to uh, pick his brain, get some thoughts about what some of our premium members are thinking about of uh, the subject du jour. So du jour, uh, the subject that we're talking about is the theme of the month here at Rec Poker. So every month we have a different theme of learning material and everything that we do at Rec Poker is based around that theme. Uh, whether it's Andrew Feist pulling learning with partners material from all the different training sites that give us behind the scenes access to their material, uh, whether it's Chris Jones' deep dive in his Q&A seminar, whether it's uh, uh, Keith or Kim going through their monthly hand review study session, whether it's my poker tracker review session, whatever it is, we're going to try and focus on the theme of the month that month, and we're going to try and release a podcast episode based around it as well. So the theme of the month this month was three betting uh, from the point of view of the aggressor. So being the person who does the three betting. And uh, if you were listening a couple of weeks ago to the uh, chats podcast with uh, Dr. Alex Sharon, uh, she got into the nuts and bolts of it, basically, because there is some misconception. People use three betting, the, the term three betting incorrectly. Preflop, the blinds are the first bet. They're the one bet. So if you're limping behind, you're really just calling that first bet. Okay, that's a one bet, the, the blind. If you open raise, so let's say you're in you're in a late late position and it's folded to you and you open to two or three big blinds, you're actually raising the first bet. So that's the second bet. That's a two bet. If you re-raise that bet. Uh, then that's a three bet. And that's where we get the terminology three bet. It's a third bet in order on that street. Now, post-flop, it gets a little more complicated because there are no blinds, essentially, post-flop. There are no forced bets. So if if post-flop, you can just lead 
and that's the one bet. And if you get raised, it's a two bet. People start thinking about every time you raise someone, it's a three bet, but that's really not true. Um, Pre-flop, it's when you re-raise someone, and post-flop is when you make that third uh, betting action, that that second raise. So just to clarify that, um, also some people I've heard using three bets as in they they raise to three big blinds. That is also not correct. It's not like if you raise to eight big blinds, eight bet. That's just not correct. It's just the sequence of the betting and the raising that counts. So we're going to talk about three betting today. And uh, this is what Chris Jones has been working on. We had our play along seminar earlier in the month. And uh, Chris is hosting his end of month Q&A. So if anyone wants to come and have a conversation with him uh, and our other members, it's on the fourth Wednesday of the month at nine o'clock Eastern. And it's a great chance to come and review all the different videos and strategy sessions and forum posts and podcast episodes that we've done all month on the topic of three betting. So generally, if you're listening to the show, you're probably not three betting enough. Some of you are probably three betting too much, but not very many of you, I promise. Uh, you're probably not three betting enough. And it's uh, it's you can get in trouble doing it. But with, with a little bit of understanding of the fundamentals of why we three bet, I think it's something that everyone in the recreational poker world should be more thoughtful about and should take advantage of because it's a cliche for a reason, folks. Uh, it works and it puts money in your pocket and takes it out of your opponent's pockets. And that's what poker is all about. So, uh, Chris, why don't you take us through sort of why you chose three betting as a theme of the month and some of the... Uh, fundamentals involved with its application. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you kind of laid the groundwork there pretty well, but I think it's it's fundamentally a part of the game that um, if you're used to playing more uh, kind of passively, let's kind of see a flop, see if I hit it, um, which maybe feels more comfortable, maybe feels more safe, it maybe feels more like I can sort of like see where I'm at and then play accordingly. Uh, you're losing out on a lot of potential opportunities and options uh, to you as a player. Um, the 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 three bet, and we're going to primarily during this podcast, talk, in, in some of the materials that we talk in our premium um, areas, we talk a lot about what are the dynamics of a three bet hand that then goes post flop we're not going to really touch on that tonight or as part of this podcast as much we really just talk about the pre-flop dynamics like why and when do we in how do we three bet uh, our opponents um and i think it's such a fundamentally important part of the game that not enough recreational players do as often as they should um but you can also do it you can just sort of, it doesn't give you just permission just to do it wildly. And so we need to have some understanding about this to like do it effectively. Um, and so I think it's a really good topic to study. Yeah, it's a crucial part of uh, of any successful poker player's game is three betting. And I like what you're getting at there, Chris, because there's kind of a mindset shift as recreational players become more experienced. Uh, you start off just seeing flops and making hands and value betting when you have a strong hand. And three betting has something to do with that, but there's a lot to do with fold equity and kind of um, 
the 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 art of poker is not always about making the best hand and getting paid for it. There's some other aspects that that mm-hmm. are going to uh, allow you to win a lot more chips when you do it. And I think the the where where I really wanted to start our conversation around this was really around the idea um, that we may as players be sort of comfortable with the idea of charts, right? And and there are charts, preflop charts that, that tell us about three betting as well. But there's there's something sort of more concrete to should I open or should I not, right? And some of that may change based on what kind of dynamics are at the table, what kind of players we're up against, who's to our left, who's to our right. So those things are fluid as well. But ultimately, a three bet is a response to somebody else's action. And that's the first way to, from my perspective, that we need to think about these is that we are not taking the first sort of uh voluntary action in in this hand um and so therefore some of the big considerations about how often we three bet what kinds of hands we three bet with are really uh somewhat influenced by who has taken that first action before us uh and where they are at the table what kind of player they are um, and that can really radically change uh, when and where we three bet. And I, I'd, I'd be curious to hear other thoughts on this. Yeah, Kim. I I just wanted to say, like, a lot. I see a lot of people, especially in our home games, trying to three bet because they see people do it. And I, so I think this is a really good conversation to have here because often I'll see somebody will make it two big blinds and someone will three bet to three big blinds. So we need to have the conversation about uh, when it's appropriate to do uh, what sizing it should be, what sizing it should be when you have position on the opening player, uh, what, what size it should be when there's a collar in between um, all of those things, I think are really, really good pre-flop things to sort of get out there for our, for our listeners to think about. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I think to, to sort of add to that, like, and what I think you're fundamentally getting at with that sort of point of like the two to the three big blind um, sort of raise there is we have to really think about what is our purpose in making, taking this action. Right. And our purpose is to generate folds uh, some folds at least um, and have strong enough hands in our, in our, in our range that can withstand calls and even sometimes for raises, which those would be four bets. Um, but we want to at least generate some folds. And really, I think I would argue that anybody that opened to two big blinds, and if we raise the three big blinds and it folds back to them, and if they fold, then they are making a gigantic mistake. Basically, they should be basically calling with their entire range. And so we're not accomplishing anything by making that raise. And that's why we want to find sizing that's going to accomplish getting some of our hands our opponents hold to fold. It comes back to the um, practice of we always want to put our opponent to a meaningful decision. Mm. Yeah. And let me me go back one step from that even. Uh, So I don't know if people know why we talk about 100 big blinds being sort of like the typical stack size now in tournaments obviously it gets smaller and smaller as you go but 
Um, if you're playing 100 big blinds and let's say one player opens to three big blinds and another player calls, okay? Then there's those six big blinds in the middle plus the small blind is half a big blind, the big blind's one. So seven and a half big blinds in the middle. And if you started with 100 big blinds and you bet three, now you've got 97. And bear with me for just one sec here. If someone bets the full pot, there's going to be seven and a half big blinds in the middle. And one of these players in the hand bets full pot and gets called. Then instead of having 97 big blinds, they've put seven and a half in. Now they have 89 and a half and there's 22 and a half big blinds in the middle. Now it's the turn. If they bet full pot again and get called, now they're down to 67 big blinds because they had 89.5 and they bet 22. Now they're down to 67 big blinds and there's 67.5 big blinds in the middle. So on the river, you have a pot size bet left. And so there's this beautiful pot geometry that exists where if you open to three big blinds and bet full pot on every street, you'll get in 100 big blinds by the end of the hand. So you almost, if you're, now people don't just bet pot, 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 but the reason three betting even really exists is because when you have a hand really, really good, like pocket aces or pocket kings, you're going to have to either make a bet that's bigger than the pot at some point, which is uncomfortable for your opponents. It's not going to get called very often, or you're going to have to raise on one of these streets. And if you raise pre-flop, then you get a flop that is much bigger than it would be otherwise. And pot geometry just means that now you can make smaller bets on future streets relative to the size of the pot and still get your bottom chip in at 100 big blinds. Or heaven forbid, you have 200 big blinds, and now you really need to bet and raise a lot more to get the hands in when you have really good hands. So if we were only ever playing short stack poker, Theoretically, you wouldn't even need to three bet, except that it adds all this great fold equity that Chris is talking about. But in the other world, um, basically, and how three betting kind of evolved was people started opening and then people started three betting with hands like exactly aces. And then eventually it became kind of transparent that they had very, very strong hands when they started doing that. And so people started three betting with other hands because the people thought that they only had aces when they three bet and sort of, I'm taking us down a dark road here, but um, that's kind of like why three betting exists as a, as a value mechanism. And now these days it's turned into more of a game of, well, you know, I've got aces, but what else do I have? And that's where kind of the art of three betting, choosing the hands that you will put in a three betting range and choosing the opponents that you're going to play against. Um, that's kind of how how we've gotten here. Yeah, and I think that's part of the uh, um, conversation is like, so we're trying to, you know, lower the number of bets we need to, with our very best hands, we're trying to lower the number of times that we have to like, to get stacks in, how do we, how do we accomplish that? Well, three betting helps us, as you talked about the pot geometry, it helps us get to that point. But the other thing that, that it uh, lets us do is, as you just kind of touched on at the end there is choose what kinds of opponents or who, what, who at the table we're going to be playing against in these, in these spots. And so for instance, um, now we don't play GTO, but we can learn from GTO. Right. And so like one of the things that I think is really um 
kind of interesting. You just talked about a hundred big blind hand. Um, one of the things we talk about in the seminar is that if if you have an under the gun player in a nine ring table, and an under the gun player opens and you're on the button, these and and um, they open, uh, you know, a min open or not a min open, but they open like a standard open, and we're gonna three bet them far. And this is something I think we understand intuitively, but maybe not to the degree that we should. We're going to three bet that player, that under the gun player, far fewer times than we are going to three bet that same player if they were in the cutoff. Um, It's like a radical difference. Um, If you look at a GTO, I'm just looking this up here. From the button against a cutoff open, we should be three betting 12 plus percent of our hands against that cutoff open with 100 big blinds and when we when we're talking about it against the uh under the gun open we should only be doing it five to six percent of time so we're more than doubling the number of times that we are three betting our opponent based on just the position at which they opened um and that may not be some for some people this would be old hat and review but i would argue that a lot of players are just they have the hands that they're going to three bet and they just go with it. It doesn't regardless of where people have opened. And that's something that if you're not paying attention to that, you're not quite doing this right yet. Yeah. And there's this, there's this kind of duality to three betting where obviously you, you benefit from, from three betting with your very strongest hands, like Chris is talking about. And then the question kind of comes down to, is this a player who's going to call three bets a lot? Because if they are, you should three bet with an even wider value range of all the hands that are up here at the top of your range. But three bets are scary. And a lot of players will fold to three bets. And so if you're going to be playing against a player that folds to three bets a lot, you might want to, instead of just doing 12%, the top 12% of hands, you might want to actually include some other worse hands uh, that you're not actually three betting for value, but you're just going to win the pot right now because they're going to fold. And now you get to win a small pot and you didn't have to do it with a very good hand. And poker is all about winning with not the best hand. Everybody wins with the best hand. Um, Everybody wins with aces. Everyone loses with two seven. So if you have an opportunity to make someone fold a hand that's better than yours, that's kind of the hidden profit in poker. Um, and so I'm sure Chris will talk about some of the candidates we might use for that and why, but this real key is you should be thinking, am I three betting to get called? Like, is this a value three bet or is this a bluff three bet or a semi bluff three bet where I'm really trying to just end the hand here because I've decided that's the best way to attack this player. And one of the things that Kim mentioned, and and as we're talking about trying to get folds with, with, uh, some of our bluffs, um, one of the things Kim mentioned at the very beginning was sizing. And we talked about, you know, you don't, don't raise to three from two. Um, but one of the other things that speaking of like where people are, are opening from the thing, the bit besides the fact that like an early position open has a stronger range and therefore we can three bed it less. The other thing that we need to think about is, are we in position or out of position again, relative to the player who has opened? Um, because 
when we are three betting them, it's going to matter a lot. When we are going to be out of position against the player who we are three betting against, we need to have a much larger sizing um, because we want to generate more folds because we do not want to put ourselves in a position where we are playing a lot of hands in a bloated pot now out of position. So we want to make it even more painful for our opponents to call us and have them make mistakes by calling us with marginal holdings um, if they are sort of call happy uh, or we want to generate more folds too. So for that reason, uh, we want to have our out of position sizing be a lot bigger, not, not a lot bigger, but we want to be at, you know, like, so a, a typical, you know, it's going to depend on stack sizes. It's going to depend on a few things, but a typical sort of, three bet sizing when we're in position is going to be around that three X. Sometimes if we're shallower, it might be two and a half. If it were deeper, it might be three and a half. And then when we're out of position, we're going to want to go kind of a full X above. So now we're in that like three and a half to four and a half, sometimes even five X sizing when we're going to be out of position. It all comes back to what Kim was saying at the beginning about uh, not not giving our opponents trivial decisions. We don't want our opponents to have easy decisions. We want them to have difficult decisions. And if I'm your opponent and you're giving me a really good price to call and see a flop in position, that's an easy decision for me um, with a lot of the hands that I'm opening with. And if you think about the action, as Chris has described, you know, I've already narrowed my range to the hands that I want to open in this position. So, uh, a lot of those hands I want to see a flop with or else I wouldn't have opened with. And so if you lay me a really good price to see them in position, I'm probably going to take you up on that. And uh, that you, A, you haven't put me to a difficult decision. You haven't really introduced any fold equity into the spot. And you haven't changed the range of hands that I was going to bring to the flop. So you haven't made your job any easier as someone who's going to be hand rating uh, later, later on a later street uh, as well. John, did you have something there, sir? Chris just mentioned um, sizing your bets based on stack size, but I think stack size also has another role in three betting and determine even if you want to or not based on A, the stack size of the person that you're thinking about three betting, but also the stack sizes behind you um, and whether someone, if you're if you're making the bet big enough that you're forcing somebody all in uh behind you or something of that nature yeah no that makes a that makes a lot of sense and and one of the the other things that stack sizing may uh may influence us on is if we're if we're short enough um we may not really have the ability to three bet without going all in um and so uh when we get into that point then this sort of sizing sort of guidelines are just kind of go out the window it's basically it's it's uh it's an all-inner call uh once we get down to a certain certain stack size as well so there's you know there's some this is these aren't hard and fast rules but they're things that we should at least be aware of that we should be fundamentally thinking about uh as these sort of decisions come to us and as chris mentioned at the beginning we go into great depth uh into a lot of these matters in our premium training materials uh throughout the month so if you're interested in going a little deeper into some of the stuff that we're talking about here, go drop that five bucks uh, at rec.poker. Um, 
if you use the code rec poker, you get your first month for only $5. You can join the strategy conversations, watch all the videos, check out the full archive. We've got an archive of two years worth of training videos now on basically every subject you could imagine. And uh, we'll go into more depth on some of that stuff there. But this is just really a primer for the podcast audience to kind of express some of the things that are most important about, about the concept of three betting and how to apply it to tables. And I guess the last thing I wanted to sort of check in and, and maybe even just open it up to the group too, I think it gets a little more complicated too, um, is sometimes I think there's the three betting option when we just have a single opponent who's raised, but then the three bet squeeze, I think is is another really common dynamic that we find ourselves having to make a decision about what we want to do in these spots. And what I mean by a squeeze, if that's not a term you're familiar with, it means that we have an open. Now we have somebody calling that open. And now we are sitting there in later position and we have the option of, well, we could fold, but we can also, we can call ourselves or we can raise. And if we raise there, that is uh, generally called a squeeze because we're putting pressure on two opponents to make a decision based on our raise. Um, and I think it opens up a lot of opportunities. We can earn a lot of chips this way. There's a lot of quote unquote dead money, which means that like players that call are often, although some players are not, but are often uh, not capable of calling a raise with a hand that they've sort of flatted with there. So that can give us, that means that that player's money is sort of just available for the taking. So we can earn a lot of chips by doing this. Um, so it can be a highly profitable play, but we also have to be careful about when we do it. Um, and so we have to think about these dynamics. Where did the original player open from? Uh, what kind of stacks are we talking about here? Are some questions we need to start asking ourselves to determine the frequency with which we can do this, especially if we're bluffing as a squeeze. I'd be curious if anyone else has any thoughts on the, on that topic. I think that's just bang on, Chris. In fact, um, this will come in mostly. This will come in more more handy when we talk about post flop stuff in our premium training material. But when you call, when someone opens in front of you and you call instead of raising, it, you you've capped your range, which is an expression that we use just to say that if you would always be re-raising with hands like aces and kings and ace king and pocket queens and stuff like that. When you take the passive line of calling instead, you're basically saying my range of hands only goes up this far because I would re-raise with these aces and kings and queens. So you're capping your range. When you are the player that's making the aggressive action, your range is uncapped. So you're, you could have all the very best hands and then you could also have some bluffs. So the squeeze is such an important uh tool, uh, uh, technique that is really worth um, pointing out here because the first player has call has, has open raised. They could have anything. The second player in Chris's example has called. So they've capped their range. They probably have a, a, a speculative hand or a fairly strong hand, but it's probably not an extremely strong hand. So when you make the squeeze play, when you re-raise and they're in three bet, it, that that first player is really under a lot of pressure because not only are you saying I've got all the best possible hands here, but even if they were thinking, oh, I've got a hand I might not, uh, you know, I don't mind seeing a flop with and I might continue with, 
they're really getting squeezed by the presence of that other player who still has to act uh, after they do. So if they they can't just call your raise and close the action, there's an opportunity this other player is going to re-raise and open it up again, or that they're going to go multi-way and have a um, a hand that they don't want to play multi-way necessarily. And for you, as the player that's squeezing, once that first player folds, which they often do, it's a great position because that second player, they've already capped their range by calling once. So you don't, they're not really going to get out of line that often. And even when you get post-flop, and, and we won't get into it too much here, you're going to be the player that still has aces and kings and queens and jacks. And they're going to be the player that has now called raises instead of re-raising. So your range of hands is just going to be, it's going to have more equity than theirs. And when you have range advantage and initiative, it's just, you're more, you're going to over-realize your equity in hand. You're going to win more hands than you deserve to based on the strength of your hand. And you can't do that without being the aggressor on a previous street. So uh, it's not just about getting fold equity. It's not just about getting them to call with worse hands. It's also about the way that you represent the top of your range, whether you're actually holding the top of your range uh, or not, you're going to win more pots than, than you would otherwise. And it's another thing that I think players are not doing enough. Certainly the players that listen to this podcast, and I do a fair amount of coaching with rec poker members. I look at a lot of databases and people bring hands to me and I look at tournament uh, hand histories and that kind of thing. When I pull up a player's database in poker tracker four, I'm always looking at the frequency with which they three bet and the frequency with which they squeeze. And you should always be squeezing to a higher frequency than you three bet an individual because the pots are so much bigger. There's so much more money in the middle there. It's worth going after it with some hands that are maybe not even quite as good as you would three bet in a one-on-one situation, but it's not the case. I see all these players who someone opens in front, someone calls, and they're thinking, oh, I'm getting good odds. There's a big pot I can call and hit my hand here. But that is, that's one hand of poker thinking. And you got to think about a lifetime of poker thinking. Um, the million hands you're going to play, you are going to make a lot more money if you are the one squeezing there instead of calling there. I promise you. Yeah, and I think the last point I'd just add to to this conversation, um, it, it kind of jump off the what you just said is that if you have access to a database and you find numbers like you're three betting at three percent of hands or something like that, uh, or if you just know you play live and I, I don't three bet anything besides jacks plus ace king ace queen, and maybe that's it, right? If you either one of those things is going to indicate that you are not three betting enough, um, and that you're not ever three bet bluffing, um, and because it's you, you may think ace king is a drawing hand and it kind of is, but that doesn't that's not what I'm talking about when I'm thinking about a three bet bluff. A three bet bluff is uh, taking a hand that has no business getting a better hand to fold, um, like a king seven of hearts, right? And getting king jack to fold. That is a beautiful thing to do. Um, and so if you're never taking that kind of play, 
um, you're not doing enough three betting. And not only that, but and I know that this this month we're talking about three betting from the point of view of the aggressor. Next month we'll talk about three betting from the point of view of uh, defending against three bets. But myself, if 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 I am playing against someone and I know that they only three bet aces, kings, queens, and ace king, that is a very I'm going to exploit the heck out of that player, and that player is going to play. I'm going to play much better against that player because I'm going to exploit them. By folding, I'm going to use the weapon of folding against that player, and I'm going to take my chips and I'm going to keep them in my pocket instead of giving them to that player. Mm-hmm. And the way I'm going to do it is by saying, well, they only ever three bet queens plus and ace king. So I can just fold my king jack, fold my king queen. You know, I can fold my ace 10. I can, the, the only hands I'm going to continue with are hands like low pocket pairs and suited connectors that can make a hand that crushes one pair of hands like queens, kings, and aces. And then you're going to feel really good about your pair of aces on a queen, 10, two board. And I'm going to be the one with a set of twos there who's, uh, you're going to be value owning yourself by the end of it. So part of it's offense and part of it's defense, because if you are a predictable player, that's a problem if you're playing against thoughtful poker players, because if it's easy to put you on a narrow range of hands, it's easy to fold when I'm behind you and to raise when I'm ahead of you. And I'm going to know when it is. Yep. Um, I've, I've folded to a three bet to, to a large, you know, like a four and a five bet. I have folded pocket Kings before I have folded pocket Kings once in my life to a three bet. And I was right. And mm-hmm. that is the kind of player that you do not want to be right. And I don't think right. a lot of our listeners are that extreme, but um you can see how it becomes easy to play. If I know that you're only three betting with aces, then I it's very easy for me to fold pocket kings. Um, and if you carry on that logic, if we don't have any three bet bluffs, you become very easy to play against. John? As the only non-wizard in the room, I just want to <laughs> back up something that, that Chris said. I'm just really learning now the ins and outs of three bet bluffing. But you know, it, it's great to turn a set of aces and go on to win the hand, but there's no better feeling than to knock somebody off of a big hand when you you have no business doing it. That's <laughs> when it really gets exciting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. <laughs> um, and I guess we, so we should talk a little bit about uh, sort of some of the hands that we might choose. Like, I don't know, I've got this love affair with uh, Ace-5 suited. That is just, it's my favorite hand. There's no wrong way to play ace-five suited other than folding most of the time. Um, so it plays great as a call, but it's a really good hand to use as a three-bet bluff as well. And I'll just say why. So when you're when you're three-betting, you're obviously doing it with your really strong hands like we're talking about. And then you want to look for the kinds of hands that have certain characteristics to add to that. So hands that have blockers, which are basically, if you've got an ace or a king in your hand, it's less likely that your opponent also has a very strong hand like aces or kings or ace king. And so more of their range is made up instead of this part, it's this part. So there's just, they're, they're, they're going to fold more of their range when you yourself have an ace or a king in your hand than they would if you don't. Um, so having a blocker is important if it's the kind of player that's going to fold to three bets. 
But if it's the kind of player that's going to call three bets, you also need to have some playability when you are called, some equity when called, getting post-flop. So ace-five suited is a fantastic example because not only can it make uh, a low wheel straight, but it can also make the nut flush. Um, and of course, it can also make two pair, but as I'm fond of saying, almost every hand in poker can make two pair. So that does not make it a good reason to do anything with it. Um, yeah, Chris. Well, and the other the other thing about hands like that, because um, the, the things you just mentioned, a couple things that I think are really important for our three-bet bluffs. They have playability. Uh, they um, they have some sort of options to make some sort of nutted hands. Like uh, they can make a straight, they can make a flush, something like that. But the other thing that I think that's really important um, for our three bet bluffs is that we can get sometimes get hands that dominate us to fold mm. frequently. So I really. I, you know, and I think if we're there, there's this, and we won't get too deep into this, but there's this idea of polarized versus linear ranges in terms of what we actually bring to our three bet range. And so the difference would be, do we three bet, not just with aces, kings and queens, but do we also tend to three bet with a hand like king jack suited or king seven suited? And in different scenarios, we're, we're going to want to do a more quote-unquote linear range and that would be the king jack suited it means that it's just a better hand in general it's 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 got two high cards it's suited it can make a straight um but the 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 interest but when we're in different situations and often what this means is that we are a little bit um we're a little bit deeper in some of these situations a hand like king seven or king six is a really interesting suited in particular is a really interesting three bet because it has the blocker of the king. Um, it's suited so it can make a flush. But if you think about it, what are you doing with king 10 when somebody three bets you? You're almost always folding it. So we can make these hands that have us just absolutely in jail go away. Uh, and I those are that's another characteristic I really like about a three bet hand. Yeah, when Chris talks about a, a linear range, it's just if you imagine starting at the top with pocket aces and just drawing a line down in order, aces, kings, queens, ace, king, uh, without skipping any hands, a linear range down, you'll get to king, jack before you get down to king, seven. So it's just uh, a straight down approach. Um, whereas uh, with a polarized range, you're going to three bet all these hands, and then there's going to be a gap of the hands that you call with like your king jack suited, for instance. And then you're going to have these other hands at the bottom that you're choosing to three bet instead. Um, and that's that polarized range because you've got both sides of that. And you might, you might employ those against different opponents. Some opponents, if they're never folding to three bets, you don't want to have a three bet bluffing range. That would be shooting yourself in the foot. Um, players that never call three bets, you, know, you, you probably don't want to three bet with your best hands because they're going to fold. And now, you know, if you know that they always fold to three bets and I have stats on players that have never, they always fold to three bets. And I'll tell you one thing, I'm not three betting when I've got aces or kings in that spot. Um, I'm going to be three betting with garbage hands, uh, maybe total garbage hands. If, if my reads that strong enough on this player, because they're going to fold 
they're going to fold better hands. So that little secret, that little secret spot of, of poker. Yeah, Kim. I wanted to go back quickly to something John said when he felt good, when he makes somebody with a really good hand fold. That's not really what we're going to do with three bets because really good hands are not going to fold. So um, it's more about what Chris said, where we're making hands that might be a bit better than ours and fold. Yeah, that that's more correct, but that is what I meant. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I just yeah. I don't want people to think that three bets are going to make really good hands fall because no. they're not. Right. Yep. People with really good hands are either going to four bet us or they're going to call us. Yep. But when we choose uh you know bad hands to three bet with, people might fold better hands than ours, uh, which is like another example for the ace five. And you can see how you can see this working, right? So like if you have ace queen and you three bet, there, no one's going to fold better because the only better hands are ace, king, aces, kings, and queens. So no one's going to fold those hands, like Kim says, because people don't fold those hands. But if you three bet with ace five, a hand like ace seven is going to fold. So that's a huge win for you with ace five because they had a better hand than you. Um, they had ace seven, you had ace five. They're dominating you and they folded. If you've got ace queen, you don't necessarily even want them to fold ace seven in the same way that you do when you've got ace five because you're the one dominating them in that spot. Um, and I I know we're talking more about pre-flop, but there are situations post-flop where I've gotten people to drop pretty significant hands sets um, because I've been able to represent the, the the flush or the straight. But I know that's a little bit different than what we're talking about here. No, it's true, and that's the that's the art of poker. You know, like we say, that's how you actually profit in poker is by uh, winning when you don't have the best hand. So the more the more we can do that and the easier we make it for ourselves, uh, the more profitable we'll be at the tables. Does anyone have like a, a hand that they never three bet or a hand that they always three bet or something like that? I always like going for some general rules around here. Like there's an argument for slow playing aces, it, depending on stack size. Maybe you don't three bet it because it doesn't I always three bet protection aces. as much. Yeah, I always, I always three bet kings. I always three bet kings because it's that yep. mix of being a very, very strong hand, but still vulnerable to those aces. And you know there's going to be an ace on that flop. Damn it. There's always an ace on the flop when you've got kings. I'll I never. I, oh, good. I generally three bet a lot so that I always want to have aces in that range. Yeah, yeah. Good point. I will almost never three bet aces in certain situations. Uh, when I have when I'm in early position and there's an early position open in front of me and then like there's an aggressive player to my mm. left, I, mm. I am flatting a hundred percent of the time. I don't even care if I'm unbalanced because I don't think they are, uh, but, <laughs> but um, more of the time, I agree that, you know, our strongest hands were just going to be three betting a lot. And I, I like, I really, in, in terms of three bet bluff candidates, I really like, um, like we've talked about some of the blockers, but against players that are going to call me more, I like having um, some of the suited connectors and even some of the smaller pairs sometimes um, if I'm very deep because I can win a massive pot. And that is intriguing to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm still I'm still coming along in my poker journey to the point where I hardly ever three bet low pocket pairs 
because mm-hmm. I just enjoy the poker style of getting them to a flop and and hitting a set. And that's just a little leak in my game. I know that there should be times when I should be three betting those low pocket pairs, but mm-hmm. um, they're really myself. just shoving hands when you get to a certain stack. Mm-hmm. They're three bet shoves. I just wanted to say that that I know we're not talking about post flop, but I think it's important to say that one of the advantages of three betting pre flop is that you can represent a lot of hands post flop, mm. no matter what you three bet with, whether it was seven eight suited or ace five suited or king seven suited. You can represent a lot of power and a lot of strength post flop because you three bet. Yeah, and we get we get and you know we we talk about this and I think this is just too deep of a topic for this podcast. But yeah, you just you get to see bet a lot, you get to win a lot, you get to. Um, it's very hard for your opponent to continue uh, the times that they call you. Um, you know, it 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 always depends, but um, th- there's a lot of good things that happen even when people don't fold. True. And listen, you know, we don't ever want to make someone uncomfortable at the poker table with our language or our behavior, but we definitely want to make them uncomfortable with our bet sizes and our action and the the choices that we make with our chips and our cards. Like putting people in a tough spot, that's what poker is all about. So um, you don't want to be. You're definitely doing this right if somebody is starting to mutter under their breath or talk to people about like this wild jerk kind of player at the table like (laughs) you're now you're onto something yeah and players aren't going to want to go to war with you like the players are going to start treating you more favorably they might not think that's what they're doing but they're going to get out of your way more um they're going to open less into your action they're going to give you credit for having uh stronger hands like this guy always has it you know um it's it's going to make you a more formidable opponent uh and it's, it's, listen, it's nice and fun to just sit there and call in position every time and see flops and play bingo poker. But um, you're just going to be trading chips around with everyone else if if you do that. And that's not, that's, that's a good way to spend some time playing cards with your friends. But if you want to win at poker, you need to be doing something that the rest of the people at the table aren't doing. And that's going to make them a little uncomfortable from time to time. As long as you're doing it with your cards and your chips and not with your attitude, then there's nothing wrong with that in my book. And I think people that are just starting to three bet more, um, and this is really important in live poker, you need to be aware of how many chips the people have that are still left to act in the hand. Hmm. Because if we say we're average stacked at 30 big blinds or 35 big blinds and an opponent opens uh, and we three bet them to six big blinds and a stack moves all in for 12 big blinds. We can't fold even our bluffs like we have to call. So we have to know you may not put as many bluffs in your three betting range if you know that you have these stacks after you. And I see a lot of beginners make these mistakes where they, they'll fold because they were doing it with crap and they really. Oh, my last seven deuce. Even if they're doing this with seven deuce. Yep, it's a great point. Sorry if my connection's not stable. Just for a second, that was the only time. 
Okay. Uh, so this is this is as Chris said, this is such a big subject. We're kind of throwing a few different concepts at you here in this episode of the Rec Poker Podcast, the Forums Edition, as we talk about the theme of the month. Um, uh, we really can't do it justice, but I hope that we have kind of piqued your interest, uh, maybe gotten you to think about three betting a little more. Um, and I'd encourage you, if anyone has any questions about three betting, you know, email Chris at rec.poker. Uh, I'm Jim at rec.poker. Uh, Kim uh, is pet vet at rec.poker. Um, John uh, is a premium member, so he doesn't have his own rec poker email address, but uh, you can find him in the forums at 7 high 11. And of course, uh, just come to the forums and, and uh, post your questions there. Post your hands uh, there as well and get some tips from the rest of the crew here on how you can improve or other things you'd be thinking about in the world of uh, three betting. And then next month, I'm really excited to start talking about responding to three bets, whether it's by our calling ranges, our folding hands, the hands that we choose to four bet with. Um, that's going to be a lot of, that's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of fun as well. So look for that coming in November. Any other thoughts on three betting gang? Only about a million. Okay. But we'll save it. We'll save it for the next one. Uh, well then with that, I want to thank uh, John Crowell, uh, Kim Kilroy, of course, Chris Jones, who does so much uh, amazing stuff behind the scenes here to put this uh, learning material together. And of course, I got to thank web, uh, website Mark Brashon over at Website Amp and the wonderful folks down at uh, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino. But mostly it's you, the listeners, that we thank. So thank you again. And we'll see you next week. Headbanger moment. Here we go. Have a great night, everybody.